care. We're going to keep the young people in here with us tonight. That's fine if you'd like to. All right, Revelation chapter number 22. Revelation chapter number 22. Uh, You can turn probably to the last uh, page in your Bible that is Scriptures, maybe the next to last page if it splits it into two pages there. Revelation chapter number 22. And uh, I want to preach a message that I believe will be a help to you. And it's been a help to me. Uh, I think that everyone would agree, regardless of whatever affiliation you might have, I like to think the only affiliation I have is with Jesus Christ. Amen. But uh, whatever affiliation you may have, you'd agree that we live in tumultuous times, wouldn't you? Turbulent times that we live in. And how is a Christian to respond? How are we supposed to react to the world around us? I believe that we would probably say, when we look at the New Testament apostles, that, well, times weren't as bad then as they are now. And there's some truth to that, although there was a great amount of persecution taking place in those days as well. By the way, uh, all of the apostles, except for John, died a martyr's death. Of course, Judas, uh, who was a disciple... Uh, He hanged himself, went to his own place, and John was uh, died at an old age. He did not die a martyr's death, but all the other apostles died a martyr's death. They suffered greatly. Uh, But we might look at it and say they didn't suffer then. Let's see here. Make sure, yeah, I've got that on. Uh, They didn't, uh, we would say they didn't suffer then like we suffer now. But I believe here in this passage, we have a man that saw the end of all these things. And we see his response. You see, in the book of Revelation, the Bible describes it as uh, things that have been passed and things that are and things that are yet to be. And uh, John saw some things that I believe we're seeing today as far as the climate and the culture in the end times. I'd like to say I do believe we are in the end times. I believe that theologically we are in the end times, although theologically we've been in the end times for a long time. But I believe practically we're in the end times as well. I look around and I see a world that's ready for Christ to return. And I believe in Revelation chapter number 22, uh, we have some things that will help us tonight. And I'd like to read the whole chapter. It's not very long, and then we'll have a word of prayer. The Bible says that He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. The Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must be shortly be done. I want you to underscore this in your Bible, or at least in your mind. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant 
and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Underscore it again. And behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the church, in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, and underscored a final time, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I want you to notice that phrase again in verse 20. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this opportunity to be here. Lord, we pray that You'd help us to be somber, Serious, but rejoicing concerning Your Word. Lord, help us to learn this evening. Help us before we leave this place to be drawn closer to You. And Lord, help us to see ourselves in the light of Your true Word. And Father, to adjust ourselves with the help of Your grace and Your Holy Spirit in a way that would be pleasing to You. If there's one amongst us that's lost without Christ, I pray, Lord, that You convict them of their lost state. Show them their need of You. Father, we love You. And we thank you for it. We ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. We see in this passage a phrase that John uses, Even so come, Lord Jesus. Now this strikes me as interesting because John has seen the conclusion of the matter. John's seen the bad and John's seen the good. John has seen the horrors of the tribulation period, but he's seen the holiness of the Lord as well. And at the end of the whole matter, what's John's final prayer? And the prayer that closes all of God's inspired Word is, Even so come, Lord Jesus. We're pressed upon our hearts with this idea of the imminence of the return of our Lord. You say, what does that word imminent mean? It means it could happen at any time. Now that means that before we leave this place, the Lord could return. That means before I finish up my sermon the Lord could return. I'd say I've uh, preached a few of them. You thought He was going to come back before I finished. Amen? But that means at any time it could happen. 
And time and time again in this chapter, it's pressed upon us how imminent the Lord's return is. He's coming, but He's coming quickly. Three times in this chapter, the Lord makes this statement, I come quickly. And what's supposed to be the response for the child of God? The response, I believe, is epitomized in what John said. John said, I look around me and see that things are prepared for the coming of the Lord. And I say, come, Lord Jesus. John says, I look around and see the turmoil of this world in which we live. And John said that they had tribulation then. Now, that's not speaking of the event of the great tribulation period, but it is speaking of turbulence in John's life that he was dealing with. We and most of us know the story of John the Apostle, how that he was taken and condemned for being a Christian, how that he was uh, boiled in hot oil and uh, cast into exile on the Isle of Patmos. John had had a hard road to go, and he looked around him and he said, even so come, Lord Jesus. Now look around at this world. Now I've talked to several people since the election results. And again, uh, you may fall on one side, you may fall on the other side. Me, I feel like I'm falling off the edge of it. Amen. But one thing's for sure. it, It just confirms in my mind that the coming of the Lord is nearer and nearer and nearer. And you may say, preacher, why? Why do you believe that? Well, I believe when when we elect a man to the White House, And that's what we've done. We as a country elected the man, popular vote, electoral vote. It's what the country wanted. That believes openly in the murdering of infant children. I believe that's an indictment on our country. And that would be the same truth if he was a Republican man that supported abortion, the same as it being a Democrat man that supports abortion or an independent that supports abortion. Uh, That means this country is seeking to support the murdering of infant children. Uh, When a man stands up, the first president ever in American history, and openly supports uh, perverse uh, marriage, if you can call it marriage, the marriage of sodomites, which is contrary to the Word of God in every way, shape, fashion, and form. Uh, They're not born homosexuals. They're born sinners, just like you and I. They choose to sin, just like you and I choose to sin. And uh, that's exactly what it is, is it's sin. It's a choice that they make. And whenever a president openly supports... Uh, marriage between two men or two women. And by the way, it won't be long before it's between an adult and a child, I believe. But uh, that's contrary to the Bible. Uh, we're living in tumultuous times, turbulent times. Things, the Bible said that there would come a day, this know that in the last day perilous times shall come. And that's the day in which we live. I fear it's not going to be long before they're going to seek to put locks on places like Wall Ridge and other churches that preach against homosexuality and preach against abortion, uh, preach against alcoholism, preach against drugs. And in this time that we live, what's supposed to be our response? I'm sure there was many that felt elated whenever they announced that the president, and he is our president, we ought to pray for him. That's what the Bible teaches we should do. Uh, I don't know that we should pray necessarily for his salvation, although I'm sure we should, but uh, we ought to pray for his leadership. There's no question. That's what the Bible commands us to do. And uh, by the way, the Lord puts them up and he sets them down. The Bible still says that, you know. But uh, I look around and I say, what's my response supposed to be as a Bible believer? And I believe that my response is supposed to be the same as John's response as this world is primed more and more for the coming of our Lord and Savior, the response of the believer ought to be, even so come, Lord Jesus. It ought to fill us with an anticipation and an expectancy, knowing that ere too much longer, 
were going to be taken away from this world in what the Bible describes as the rapture. I'd like to give you three reasons that I believe that John looked for the coming of the Lord with anticipation. And I believe if you have these things in your life that you can look in anticipation uh, for the Lord's return. And by the way, we have peace from the Lord's return. That's in fact the blessed hope that the Bible speaks about. That's where our peace comes from, knowing that God's still in control in heaven and that He's coming to take His church unto Himself. But I want to give you three reasons that I believe that we ought to have an expectancy about it. Look with me in verse uh, number 1, and we're going to read down through verse number 7. And uh, I I want you to see what John says. We already read this. We'll read it again quickly. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, John's describing the new Jerusalem that's going to be upon this earth throughout eternity. It says, In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. I want to read that again. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and there need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And He said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent His angel to show unto His servants the things which must Shortly be done. And here we see the first of these phrases. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. I want to say first off that I believe John had an attitude of anticipation because of the letter which he had learned. John had pinned down the words of Revelation under holy inspiration. And through writing down these words, the Bible says that he had learned them, but he had also kept them, I believe. And the Bible says there's a particular blessing upon those that read the book of Revelation and keep the prophecies of this book. Now, what does it mean to keep the prophecies of this book? Uh, certainly it doesn't mean that we're going to fulfill these prophecies. It's not us uh, up to us to fulfill these prophecies. These are God's promises for His people. He's going to fulfill them. So when it speaks of the keeping of these prophecies, what it's speaking about is those that, as the psalmist said, hide God's Word in their hearts. In other words, those that read it, that believe it, that get it, and that take comfort in it. You see, let me put it very simply. John had read the end of the matter. He had read the end of the book. He had read the end of the whole matter, the conclusion of it all. And you can hear from the description that God has him pinned down, the bliss of the matter and the way that his heart leapt. Look again at what he says in verse number 3, and there shall be no more curse. We live in a cursed world, you know that? It's been cursed ever since the fall of Adam. The earth is cursed. Anytime you ladies go out and if you work in roses, I don't know if you ever grow roses, but when you reach into that rose bush and one of those thorns pricks your hand, that's a result of sin. Us fellas that have to go out and mow the yard and we break a sweat on our head and we get tired and worn out and all that grass gets in your eyes and your uh, sinuses and before long your whole head swelled up like a basketball, amen? Uh, the result of those things is because of sin. The death that we face in this world is because of sin. Every time a person ceases to breathe and their heart stops, it's because Adam sinned. 
It's because sin reigns in this world. The Bible says that death came by one man and death reigned upon all. We face these curses because of sin. The Bible also teaches, though, that the Lord is going to come back, take us out of this world in the rapture, and He's going to come back seven years later in power and in glory and set up a new kingdom, reign for a thousand years. The Bible speaks in those thousand years of the fact that the lion will lay down with the lamb. There'll be no more curse during during that time as far as the animal kingdom, but the Bible also teaches that this earth is going to be renovated by fire. And after that, it's going to be a new earth, the Bible calls it, a new heaven and a new earth. And in it, there's no more curse. The Bible speaks a little later on in this chapter about those that are within the holy city and those that are without. And that doesn't just mean that there's liars and adulterers that are living throughout the earth at that time, but it means that those that dwell with God are perfect and have no sin, and those that are sinful and wicked and ungodly are not in the presence of God and His people. We live around a violent world, you know that? Every day we look around, you can turn on the news and it's enough to depress you sometimes. Every day, you know, some of you can remember a time in this Uh, city when it was rare to hear of someone getting killed. Oh, maybe once a month, maybe once every two months, and uh, you'd hear of someone getting shot in a heinous way or killed, and it seems like now every time you turn on the TV, someone's getting shot, someone's getting stabbed. All the time, murder and violence and all these things permeating the earth. How could John have joy having looked through the tribulation uh, prism, if you will? How could John, having seen the battle of Armageddon, having seen all the death, having seen all of the things that are going to take place, how could John still say, even so come, Lord Jesus? He could say that because he knew how it was all going to wind up. See, the truth of the matter is this. It doesn't matter how much God's people are oppressed in this world, in the world to come or in the age to come, we're not going to be oppressed. It doesn't matter how lonely we feel in this world, there's going to be a time when the Bible says we'll see His face doesn't matter what sicknesses we deal with now, there's coming a time when there'll be no more curse. doesn't matter the things we face now, there's coming a time when God's going to make all things new. John could have joy because he understood the coming of the Lord uh, meant the judgment of all things and the renewing of all things. And we as believers, when we look around at this world and wonder how bad is it going to get, and by the way, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. But when it gets better, oh my, how much better it's going to be. John could have joy and anticipation because of the letter that he had learned. But look with me at verse number 8. The Bible says, And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he that is he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Now I want you to look at verse 12. We see this phrase again. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I want to say, first off, John had anticipation because of the letter that he had learned, because he knew the end of the matter. He knew that the Lord was coming back for his own. The Lord would make all things new. But let me say, secondly, that John had anticipation because of the life that he had lived. You see, John knew that he had lived his life for Jesus Christ. And he understood that when the Lord came back, he came back with his reward in his hand. You've heard people say before, and I'm sure that uh, I, I know I've heard it, and I'm sure you've heard this too when a funeral happens. And, 
Somebody's preaching a funeral and they'll say, well, they've entered into their reward. Have you ever heard someone say that before? I have. Do you know that's false? They've entered into their rest, but they've not entered into their reward. The Bible says that when the Lord comes back, He comes back with His reward in His hand. You say, why is it that they've not entered into their reward? Because everything's not been tallied yet. You see, the truth of the matter is, God is the creator of what we might call the greatest pyramid scheme ever invented. You say, what do you mean? Uh, Well, you see, when you win someone to Christ, the result of your labor does not die with you. But when they go and serve God and do things for God, that abounds to your account as well. And Paul spoke about fruit abounding to the account of the church at Philippi and abounding to his account. You see, the work of the Christian is a far-reaching thing. Why do you think the Bible says uh, that they that do the will of God abide forever? You know, everybody that's saved is not doing the will of God. So it's not just saying if you're saved, you're going to abide forever, but it's saying that if you do the will of God, you're going to abide forever. In other words, your works don't end whenever you die. They continue on and continue on and continue on. And John said that the Lord told me when He comes back, He's coming back to reward His own. You know, the truth of the matter is this. The Bible says that some men's sins go on before him and some men uh, get the punishment of those sins in this life that they live in. You know that rewards are the same way. You know, it's not uncommon for a saint to toil and labor for God for many years and see no evident fruit or reward of it. I could give you illustration after illustration. I think one of the most famous ones is Adoniram Judson, the great missionary, ministered in uh, Burma for so many years. And for seven years he ministered and did not see a single convert, not one, for seven years. Don't you know there were some difficult nights for Mr. Judson? Don't you know there were some difficult times when he pillowed his head at night and thought everything was futile? Some of you have given out tracts, wondered what happened to them. Some of you have witnessed your friends and your neighbors and your loved ones, and it seemed to no avail. Some of you have labored uh, for the Lord, unseen, unpromoted, unthanked. And you wonder what it's all been for. Can I tell you that though this world may not keep a tally of what you've done for God, that God does? John could have anticipation because he knew he had given his all for Jesus Christ. He knew that he had lived his entire life since he had been saved and done his very best for Jesus Christ. And he knew that that was going to be a blessed day when he saw his Lord. It's not going to be that blessed of a day for some of the others of us. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And I wonder this question, if Christ was to come back today, would you be satisfied with what you've done in your life for Him? If He came back today, would you be satisfied? And that's not an unattainable mark. I'm not saying that that can't be attained to. In fact, Paul said, I've finished my course. Paul said, I've not been perfect, but I've done my best to serve Him. And Paul had no regrets. You know, the truth of the matter is, though, most believers, if the Lord was to come back today, they'd have deep regrets about the way they've lived their life for Christ that have deep regrets about their faithfulness, about their fervor, that have deep regrets about the passion and the work ethic that they've had for Jesus Christ. And most believers would have to admit, sadly, that they've invested far more in their families and in the temporal things of this world than they have in the kingdom of God. John said, I don't have to dread that day. John said, I look forward to that day because I've given my all for Jesus Christ. John certainly had suffered for him, but... John had also ministered and labored for him as well. He had for many years faithfully uh, pastored various churches, and the church at Ephesus is probably the most well-known one that we're aware of. But John had given everything, and he knew because he had given absolutely everything that the Lord would return in like kind. 
You know, the truth of the matter is this. The Bible says that if we give, it shall be given unto us. You know, shaken down, pressed together, overflowing. In other words, if we give, we're going to get more back. So the truth of the matter is this. If you give your all for Jesus Christ, you can't help but make a good return on it. The Bible says Christ was talking to His disciples and He said, there's no man that has left these things that's not been returned fourfold unto him. There's no man that has given these things up that it's not been well repaid for him. And yet sometimes we do everything in the world except serve Him. I believe that those that look for the most to the Lord's coming are those that are faithfully serving Him. Let me give you a third reason and I'll close. Look at verse number 13. The Bible says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. He identifies himself very clearly in saying, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. The Calvinists have a hard time with this next verse. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. It doesn't say whosoever has been made to will. But it says, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Let me just pause here and say, you'd have to be... Uh, an unbeliever to mess with the Bible because anybody that believed the Bible would be too scared to mess with it after reading those passages, wouldn't they? Now, I like this verse. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. You notice that Christ goes to extra lengths to identify who He is. And I have no doubt that John very early in this passage understood who was giving him these revelations. I don't think this was a great epiphany to John. But remember who John is. You know, John is the apostle of love. In fact, the Bible, time and time again, when John is recording things in the Gospel of John, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. This was a man that had literally heard the heartbeat of God. The Bible tells us he'd lean upon his breast. And this was a man that loved the Lord very deeply. And we find in Revelation chapter 22 that God's very explicit in identifying who this is. I, Jesus have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. In verse 16, he says, I'm the root. In other words, he's the source of David and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And then again in verse 20, he which testifieth these things. In other words, the, the person, John, that's been dealing with you all this time says, I come quickly. And with that, John says, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let me give you a third reason, and I'll hush. I believe that John had an anticipation about the return of the Lord because of the Lord whom he loved. Now, the truth of the matter is this. If you don't love the Lord, you're, you're not looking for the Lord. And if you're not looking for the Lord, you don't love the Lord, at least not like you should. You know, many stories could be told about uh, anecdotes of fathers coming home from wars and the children looking for the father or... Uh, uh, loved one coming home from a great journey and how that the family looks for that loved one and longs for him to come. 
But suffice it to say that the Bible continually exhorts believers to be looking for His coming. You know, every day we live, we're not looking for His coming. Most of us aren't. We go and we expect the sun down the same way we expect the sun up. We expect dusk like we expected dawn. We expect the day to end just like it began. And we're not looking with anticipation for the Lord to return. The Bible commands us to be looking. And I tend to believe, who was it that said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear. It was that old Apostle John, loved the Lord so dearly. Who was it that God used to give the revelation of His coming? It could have been Peter if He had chose Peter. God could have used Peter like He could have used John. God could have used James. God could have used Matthew. God could have used any of the other apostles. But He used the one that loved Him the most. Why? Because He knew the one that loved Him the most would be looking for Him the most. If we're truly in love with Jesus Christ, it's going to cause us to hate this world. Now, I don't mean to hate the people in this world, but to hate the environment of this world. It's going to cause us to look for another city whose builder and maker is God. It's going to cause us to be uncomfortable in this world. And let me say also, if we love the Lord, it's going to cause this world to be uncomfortable with us. We preach a lot and talk a lot about separation, or at least I do, and I was raised with that kind of preaching. I believe that kind of preaching is scriptural. But let me say that you won't be fully in separation from the world until you're fully in love with God. It's not just about being separated from the world, but being separated to God. And until we have a love affair with Jesus Christ, it's not going to affect the way that we live. That doesn't mean we shouldn't preach on holiness. We should. It doesn't mean we shouldn't preach on getting sin out of our lives. We should. But until we love God like we should, it's not going to change us. It's not going to affect us. Until we love God like we should, we're not going to have an anticipation about His return. I wonder if you tonight have a reason to love Him. I know I do. The Bible says that we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. I believe when we forget what God's done for us, we forget how to love God. And I believe that Calvary is the fountain of God's love, not just towards us, but God's love that we also express back towards Him. We only love God because He lets us love Him. We only love Him because we're given the wherewithal to love Him. The Bible says that the love of God sheds abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And if we're not in love with God, it's going to affect our whole life. And I think there's a lot of Christians that are unhappy And it's not that they're unhappy with anything in the world except God. That's who they're unhappy with. They're unhappy with their circumstances. They're unhappy with uh, the people around them. They're unhappy with the way that people treat them. But do you know that if you're in love with Jesus Christ and if you're in love with His Word, there's a lot in this world that you're going to be impervious to. The Bible says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Our main problem in this world is that we're not in love with Jesus Christ like we ought to be. That's why we're distracted by the world. That's why we're distracted with things is because we don't love Him like we should. That's why we find a greater audience with the men of this world than we do uh, with God's people is because we're not in love with Him like we should. I wonder tonight if you'd like to just open your heart to the Lord and come down and say, Lord, I know, you know, loving the Lord is a lot like faith. What, what did the fellow say? He said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. I know you've heard me pray often, even though you ought to be praying while I'm praying, and I ought to be praying while you're praying. We all hear each other praying. I know we do that. You've heard me pray, Lord, teach us to love you more. I believe that we ought to pray for that like we pray for anything. Are you looking for the Lord to come back? I hope that you are. Do you love the Lord like you ought to? You probably don't. I don't love Him like I ought to either. If we could love Him more, and I believe we could, I believe we ought to come down, pray, and ask Him, say, Lord, teach me to love you more. Their heads bowed with their eyes closed. Heavenly Father.
Bless now this invitation to your glory and to your honor. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. With our